0: Fans, bat around! For the next two hours, listen in as Stan and Craig Heist bat around all manner of topics pertaining to the great game of baseball with their great group of guest contributors. Feel free to tweet your questions to Stan at StanTheFan. Now sit back and enjoy the bat around. Guys, take it away.
1: All right, and welcome, welcome aboard on this Saturday, April the seventh. It is one guy today, uh, although Craig Heist will join us later. Stand the fan here from press box with the bat around for this Saturday. Let me quickly tell you what we've got for you, and then we can rehash what was an incredibly exciting and uh, most interesting baseball game last night. And that's the thing that you get every time you either go to the park or turn on the television you never know you may get that most boring 10 to 1 victory or a, a kind of quickly played and dull 2 to nothing game but last night was anything but that 7 to 3 final the Orioles win in 14 innings in the Bronx and they've stamped themselves for at least a couple days as contenders rather than pretenders. Joining us on the bat round today at ten eighteen will be Mike Shallon of the New Hampshire Union Leader. We'll talk to him about the quick start that the Boston Red Sox have gotten off to. And that scintillating pitching they're getting. Um, the return to health of one David Price. And uh, return to form a little bit with Rick Porcello. Uh, we'll talk to him about that. Also at 1040, Mel Antonin of MatsonSports.com. We'll talk a little bit about last night's Orioles victory over the New York Yankees. We'll talk about what the plans are for Alex Cobb, which have been put on, I won't call them put on hold, they have been slow-balled, which I think is a very smart move. There was actually talk that Alex Cobb was going to start the game on Monday night against Toronto. I think that that has been backed up at least five days, maybe eight or nine days, and I think that really the right time to start him it might be that game next Monday morning at eleven o'clock in Boston at Patriots Day. But we'll talk to Mel Anton and about that, and we'll also talk to Mel, who follows the game on a, a more national level as well, uh, a little bit about the um, the phenom who was. Suddenly wasn't, but is again, and that's Shohai Otani, who is homered now in three straight games in addition to having made his first start a very successful one last Sunday against the Oakland A's, I think it was. Uh, Craig Heist of uh, 106.7, the fan over in D.C., and my normal co-host will join us from Nats Park, and we'll talk a little bit about the extension of Mike Rizzo there and the early feelings about one Dave Martinez as manager. Joining us at 11.20 is always one of my favorite uh, reads when I read the sports pages, be it online or in paper, in my hand. Jim Henneman will join us to talk about some of his reflections on the 2018 spring training. He did a periodic sort of series of articles uh, down there, and they were quite fascinating. One was... uh, Jim's going into Jim's mind as he took the train, the auto train down to Florida this year, imagining what it would have been like back in the days of the thirties and forties when that's, you know, that's the only way teams traveled to and from each other was by train. Uh, Jim Henneman will join us at 1120 and then at 1135, the last Orioles pitcher to win 20 games in a season. I don't think we thought it would take 34 years before that would happen again, or at least 34 years before it would happen again. This is the 35th year, I believe. 1987's Mike Boddicker joins us uh, for a a little bit of a poignant revisit with a friend, Sammy Stewart, who passed away um, during uh, spring training this year. Um, Mike Boddicker was pretty good friends with the late Orioles hurler, um, both from their days with the Orioles and, I believe, the Red Sox. I think we'll talk to Mike Boddicker about that. But let's get started. Brittany, how are you doing, dear?
2: I'm doing wonderful. How are you doing?
1: All right. Any uptick in uh, Towson University's men's baseball team?
2: Um, baseball, they did pretty well last weekend when I called the game. Uh, unfortunately, their game on Wednesday got canceled uh, not really sure why. I don't think LaSalle could make it in, but okay. yeah, they've been picking it up a little bit, doing pretty well and yeah, looking good.
1: All right. Have you been following the Orioles?
2: Yes, I have. I mean, who isn't happy that they've been beating the Yankees, so
1: Yeah. After a one and five start, the Orioles win opening day, lose two in a row to Minnesota to close out that home series, then go to Houston. And are in two of the games, but but can't quite get the job done. They're one in five going into New York, and you're looking at Andrew Kashner and Kevin Gosman and Tillman and Wright starting those four games. And I think if you had said to me uh, on th- on Wednesday afternoon after the Orioles lost to Houston for the third straight time relax, you're going to at least split in New York. I think we all would have said, okay, I'll sign on for a split in New York out of four games. And the Orioles in two games have assured themselves of a split. And, in fact, if they can win one of these two, they will win the series three games to, to one.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's early on in the season. You can't get down about your team dropping games to Houston. Oh, you I can, go back. And, oh, I can get down. Oh, about you can't it, get can't down you. about that. Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> Well, I got down because I thought two of those games they could have won, Yes, I and they agree with that. and they didn't win, and I did get down about that because the prospect of the way that Cashner and Gosman had pitched in Game One was not too in, in, enticing for me. But uh, Andrew Cashner pitched well Thursday night, and Kevin Gosman gave the club a solid five innings. Um, I think the the key last night would have been you'd really like to get Gosman into that seventh inning and shorten the game a little bit. He still left it in the hands of the bullpen for four innings. Richard Blyer came on and did did well for an inning and two-thirds, and then Miguel Castro did okay until the bottom of the eighth inning when D.D. Gregorius took him deep um, and hit that home run. But I think we're seeing early in the season – Despite the fact that the numbers don't look entirely pretty, I think his earned run average is now like 4.2. Miguel Castro, I think we're seeing the great versatility he has, the great stuff he has, and I'm really optimistic that he's going to be a major part of this, the overall bullpen this season. And I think I was right in, in predicting or at least warning that if they had made him the starter – it was really going to leave that bullpen wide open for discovery uh, as to who was going to pitch those 6th, 7th, and parts of 8th innings. Uh, You know, Because Buck Showalter, one thing about him, he's not going to throw out Darren O'Day two, three days in a row. He's not going to throw out uh, Richard Blyer. Well, Blyer he'll throw out three days in a row. But you're not going to see Givens three days in a row. You're not going to see... Brock three days in a row. So if you're pacing that and you still have those innings, uh, somebody's got to eat them up. And I think so far the early returns are very favorable in Castro and Pedro Araujo. How do you pronounce his name? Uh. A-R-A-U-J-O. Araujo. Araujo.
2: That sounds good. Good to me.
1: I I just call him Pedro.
2: Yeah, that's – Anyway. Probably the
1: best way. <laughs> anyway, it was another Pedro last night that won the game. He came in the game as the club's designated hitter uh, midway through, and um, he got the big blow last night. Pedro Alvarez, and you got to feel good for Pedro, who came to the Orioles on a one-year contract, 2016, and didn't really disappoint, didn't get off to a great start, signed uh, during spring training, a little bit late in spring training that year, But I think he hit like 22, 23 home runs that year, uh, knocked in about 65 runs, something like that. Then last year he was not offered a contract. The Orioles signed him late to a minor league contract, and he really didn't get a chance in the major leagues last year. And I feel really, you know, I don't know Pedro that well. I, I don't know him at all. He wouldn't know me if I, you know, if I came over and slapped him in the face, he wouldn't know me, but I wouldn't do that. Because I think he'd he then, would hate you, he, if then I think he. I think he'd kill me. I think he could possibly strangle me right there. But but all kidding aside, um, I felt bad for him because to me, he's almost the same player that Mark Trumbo is. Only Mark Trumbo got thirty nine million dollars, and this guy got like seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars, probably last year, or five hundred thousand. And this year, it's kind of more of the same. He's probably making $1.7 million as long as he's in the major leagues. But if Trumbo comes back in 10 days, they could very well option try and option him. they got to probably put him through waivers again uh, to get him back to the minor leagues. And I think with his service time, he could also refuse the assignment and be a free agent that a team like the Tampa Bay Rays might want to sign I would like to not lose Pedro uh, Alvarez. Anyway, felt great last night that he came in and got the big blow off of um, uh, Holder. Uh, What's his first name? Uh, Oh, God, I can't. Jeremy Holder? No, I can't remember. Uh, Anyway, Holder gave, gave up the Grand Slam home run to Alvarez, and the Orioles had themselves a victory. It was not a save for Brad Brock, but Brock did come in and pitch the bottom of the 14th, and retired the Yankees 1, 2, 3. I will say this about the Yankees. They're already hurting their first baseman, has had this foot surgery to clean up a problem in his ankle, and he's going to be gone probably six or eight weeks, I think, is Greg Bird. And they had penciled him in as a superstar in waiting, ready to blossom this year with 30 plus Homer power and all that. He's already down. Drury left the game last night with a migraine headache, doubtful, I think, to start today. And we'll try and – there's a website, uh, Baseball Lineups, or it's a Baseball Press baseball – press, uh, anyway, the lineup for the Oriole game will probably be out in the next 15 or 20 minutes. But Drury probably won't play. And also Gary Sanchez left that game in the top half – Of the 14th inning, when things were just getting excited, the bases were loaded, and Holder was pitching to Adam Jones, and there were two strikes, and I think one and two count or something like that, Sanchez reached over for a pitch, and you could see that his calf really cramped up, and that's been an ongoing problem for him, they had to bring in their backup catcher, Adam Jones struck out, I think, on the next pitch or second pitch, and it was a a little bit of an argument there ensued between uh, Adam Jones and Hope an umpire um, Ed Hitchcock, Hitchcock uh, and then and then Pedro Alvarez came with the grand slam. But the Yankees walking wounded a little bit. Is the lineup out?
2: Um, so right now they just have the pitchers posted.
1: Yeah, and the pitchers are Chris Tillman and Sonny Gray.
2: Yes, sir. All
1: right. Anyway. Uh, again, our guest list today because it's a jam-packed show. Craig Heist is not with us today because he's got to cover the Nats game against the. Who are the Nats playing again? The Mets, right? Nats and Mets at Nats Park. I think that game time is one o five. Heist is going to join us at eleven o five. We'll talk to him a little bit about the extension, uh, the two-year extension that Mike Rizzo got. Again. The way the learners conduct their business, listen, all of these owners have idiosyncrasies as to how they handle things, but the learners just have an odd way of showing their appreciation of people. They don't really get tied up in four, five-year, six-year contracts. They gave Mike Rizzo a two-year extension, and remember, if you remember, Dusty Baker had a two-year contract to manage the, the Nationals, and all he did was win his division two times in a row and uh, yet that wasn't good enough for the learners. So,
2: I mean, you think they're just looking for somebody who can get them far in playoffs? It doesn't matter about the division win?
1: I, I think they, of course, they want to win the division, but I think they feel that they are so much better than the rest of the division that that's almost like an automatic, and if somebody can't take them, the next step. But I, I really think now Mike Rizzo, at least publicly, says all the right things that we we've developed such a tremendous bond together and all that well two-year contract extension doesn't show me that incredible bond it shows me uh we want to keep the pressure on you you know uh you know i again i don't know mike rizzo uh i think he's a very good baseball person i thought his decision the way he handled the steve strasberg steven strasberg thing a couple of years ago when he was coming back from injury where they they went hard and fast on that innings limit, but there were three or four other ways that he could have arrived at those innings and had Steven Strasburg ready to pitch at the season's most important time, and yet he sort of just defended himself. No, he argued that we were doing the right thing for the pitcher. Nobody ever argued that they weren't doing the right thing for the pitcher, but there were times and ways they could have scheduled Steven Strasburg – in May, June, and July to f- built in a few breaks for him mm-hmm. that wouldn't have stressed him out by August 15th, where they kind of had to shut him down uh, at that point in the season and left the uh, manager, Matt Williams, uh, you know, one really uh, loaded ace short uh, in his deck. 10-16 our time on the batter round right now, and uh, we will be making our connection with Mike Shallon. Mike Shallon is the official scorer uh, for the Boston Red Sox. And, uh, and again, like Jim Henneman, he doesn't do all 81 home games. But um, Mike Shallon of the New Hampshire Union Leader is a columnist for the New Hampshire Union Leader. Used to write for the Boston Herald for a long time. Wrote for the New York Post for a long time. He's going to join us this morning, and we'll talk to him. Both about um, – We're going to talk to him both about the Boston Red Sox and about a couple plays last night. Mike is not an umpire, but being an official scorer, I'm sure that Mike knows some of the rules pretty darn well and will be able to help lend some clarification to what happened on a couple plays last night's game. Uh, Mike Shallon uh, of the New Hampshire Union Leader joins us, and I think he joins us right now. Mike, how are you? Good
3: morning. How are you? Good. Are you uh, the official scorer today at the uh, Red Sox game? Yes, I am. I'm on my way right now. The temperature's 35 degrees, and it's cloudy. and a perfect day for baseball.
1: All right. Who's pitching today in that matchup between Boston and Tampa Bay?
3: This will be uh, Faria for the for the Rays and uh, Porcello for the locals.
1: Okay, the locals. Uh, Faria, uh, not Faria. Price and um, Porcello have both pitched. Very well so far in the early going.
3: Well, they all have. Yeah. Um, they, they've set all kinds of franchise and major league records. They haven't given up the starter. A starter hasn't given up more than one run. And their uh, combined starting ERA is .86. Yeah. So that part of it could not have gone any better. Now, that said, they've won six games in a row and only scored 20 runs in the six games. You know, there's a lot of... Uh, a lot of crazy stuff going on in baseball. I don't know if, it, to me, more than usual, the first two weeks of the season. I don't know if it's got to do with the early start, but you're seeing you're seeing strange games, long games, uh, three home run games, uh, crazy endings. Uh, I think you yeah, had the other night. We had the first game in history ever to start and end with back to back home runs. And, you know, you got the whole Otani story. It just it just that. It's It's just crazy stuff going
1: on. Yeah, it's been very, very interesting. Hey, Mike, I'm not sure if you heard about the play last night. And again, I make the point that you're not an umpire, but you're an official scorer, so you know the rules pretty well. Uh, Giancarlo Stanton's on first base. The Yankees have somebody on first base. I can't remember who it was. The batter bounces the ball to the pitcher. They get Stanton in a rundown. The batter on the base runner from first is standing on third. Stanton does not try to take the bag. He runs past the bag without even touching the bag in mm-hmm. sort of into the past the bag. Now, I won't say left field, but he's five steps past the bag. Caleb yeah. Joseph never tags Stanton initially. The guy, the base runner from first who's on third, Joseph tags him, then tags Stanton, and the Orioles think they have a double a double play. The umpires came out disgusted. Ended up only awarding the out on Stanton. Buck Showalter came out and was furious. And it sounds like the rules were not um, were not followed there. And it should have been a double play.
3: Yes, it should have been. It was uh, they missed it. You know they.
1: Um... How do how do four professional umpires? And seriously, I'm not a guy who just automatically beats up umpires. Wouldn't yeah. one of the four really kind of know the rule there?
3: Well, you would hope so, <laughs> but um, uh, you know, I don't understand how a guy could ever be safe if he's not on a base. <laughs> I just, uh, you know, uh, uh, barring interference, I, I, I don't know how they missed it. Uh, they explained it on the Yankee broadcast. I think it was Sanchez who had.
1: Who uh, would come and, over? That's right, it was Sanchez who would come yeah. over to third base, right?
3: Which the fact that he was on base was even unusual, but the fact that Sanchez <laughs> uh, got got to the base, uh, which he doesn't he doesn't own until Stanton's situation is resolved. Now, had they tagged Stanton first and not Sanchez, my understanding is it would not have been a double play. But since it was the way it was, Correct. it would have been two. And you know there was a play. There was a play in Toronto, uh, uh, not in Toronto, but uh, the other day, where a ball, where a ball hit the outfield fence, and popped up in the air. And Granderson caught it. They called it an out. And the, I think it was the White Sox. Their base runners didn't know what to do, and and the guy on third completely messed it up. He went back to third and didn't even score after the out call was made. So they they. They got together, and they decided, yeah, on replay, that it's a ball in play, and they just decided to give the base runner a, a single and move everybody up a base. So, it's, you know, I, again, all this stuff goes back to my original plan for the umpires, and that is for the crew chief to have an earpiece. He gets buzz from New York, or even a fifth umpire, a rotating fifth umpire, and, and New York said, hey, 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 we're, we're looking at this. But no 10-minute no discussion, right? no four-minute no four uh, review like they had in Detroit on uh, for the opening day. When well, that was Detroit terrible. A, that was Boston terrible. Opening. Now, I'm not saying he was safe for out, I'm just saying that there's no conclusive evidence. Just like the last play, uh, the Red Sox could have won the game in the bottom of the ninth inning the other night. Jackie Bradley, it was a bang-bang play. They called him out. Had they called them safe, it would have counted, but there was no conclusive evidence. But so much of this stuff could be taken care of time-wise with an earpiece in, in the in the ear of the, of the crew chief, like they do in football. And right. say, Listen, we're, we're looking at this, and 15 seconds later, Chelsea comes back, or wherever the um, offices are now, comes back and says, this is what it is. You know, uh, uh, when, I, when I have... When I have a, a call that I've never seen before uh, as a scorer, the first thing I do is get on the phone with Elias Sports Bureau. Right. Because they're, they're in charge of the official scoring. And I run it by, by them, uh, whoever's there, and I said, listen, this is the situation. What do, you, what do you want me to call on this? Because I know if I don't call it the way they want it, they're going to change it anyway. Right. So what do you want me to call on this? Boom, they tell me, and I clear it up. You know, sometimes I even get it right, which... Surprises everybody in the press box, but uh, you know, I just I, I don't understand why a simple solution is not there. But and had every right to protest. Yeah. Now, when
1: when a protest is made, the fact that the Yankees never scored a run there and the Orioles win the game is the protest then a moot point totally, or do they do they try and come up with an explanation that serves the purpose of Ho- hoping to get something similar right in the future?
3: Well, I hope it's the latter. Um, first of all, I think the next time a protest is up, college, you'll probably see Haley's comment in your living room. But, yeah. uh, or you might you see
1: know, Donald Trump tell the truth.
3: Well, I, that's listen, I don't like to get into politics. You know that. Too. I know that. <laughs> but the uh, uh, something, you know, even the Gardenhire thing, if you, if you read up uh, later in the week, and they'll be apologized to them instead yep. they got it wrong. Yeah. Not only did they get it wrong, but they the, but the review took too long. You know, you, you got guys standing out there in, in freezing cold weather, waiting for a review for four, five, six minutes. It's just it just completely affects the integrity of the game.
1: You know, it, it's very interesting. I won't say that it affects the integrity of the game. That, that's what I'm going to say here. But what's beginning to happen more and more, and I first noticed it in football is the fans that are watching the game at the stadium. I won't say they're left clueless, but those are the fans that want to cheer and feel good about something. And more often than not now, there's such a small area of what's right and what's wrong that these videos take all the spontaneity out of being a fan. Yeah,
3: and then you then you see the, the videos that Seem to prove what the fans want, that the call goes the other way anyway. Yeah, which is what happened at Fenway the other day. Um, you know, I, I noticed that I, I could be wrong about this, but I, I could swear that that I heard ballparks announce what the what the review is for last year, and, I, and I, again, I haven't heard it. I haven't heard it this year.
1: I think that, I think they owe the fans that are at absolutely. the game that that understanding of what they are. Now, I wanted to move on to another play last night. And this falls in line with the same thing. In the bottom, I believe it was the 10th inning, the Yankees, the Yankees had runners on first and second. There's a ground with one out. Ground ball to Beckham, he throws to scope. he was a little slow. Scope was very quick pivoting and throwing to first. Umpire at first calls him out. End of inning, right? And the Orioles are excited. Givens is excited. They walk. They are all just about off the field. The Yankees end up challenging it, and the challenge is upheld. Now they have runners at first and third and two out. Givens throws a ball. I don't know if you saw this on Sports Center, but wild, it's all, it's wild, so wild pitches. It bounces back to Joseph, who flips to Givens, who's rushing toward the plate. He slides into the plate, thereby blocking Torres ability to reach the plate, and then tags them. And again, they reviewed this uh, based on that whole thing with the catcher can't block home plate without the ball. And um, it's interesting that there's actually, apparently it's written that that's only for catchers. Other position players, if they're covering home plate in a different situation, can kind of block the plate.
3: Well, I would think that even in that situation, the catcher can block the point because he's, he, he, he's in the act of catching the ball. Right. Well, it wasn't like he, he set up there and then caught the ball. Right. Uh, it was a crazy play. Now, I thought a, a reason to challenge if I'm trying to win the game is Didi's hand did get in eventually, and I right. and I was looking at where the glove was when he tagged him. Right. And I thought that was close enough to review.
1: Okay. But they were, but they were challenging it on the grounds – they did announce that challenge, I believe, that it was on the grounds of his, uh, that Givens didn't have the right to block the plate. And again, I make the point, that's that's vastly different than a catcher gauging a throw from right field when a pitcher's rushing toward the plate. His only means to catch the ball and tag the guy is to slide in with the with the base runner almost.
3: Well, you know, that game, that game last night, and I saw most of it because the... The Red Sox were off. The Mets were off. So it, it was—it it was pretty much, uh, you know, the only game in town for me. Yep. And and uh, um, that game had everything. When you think about it, you, know, you even had very subtly uh, a little little beanball thing early in the game, which was which was interesting. And all done very professionally by the people involved.
1: I did not. Um, I did not see that. I was out to dinner with my wife and an aunt and didn't get home till after nine. What What was that
3: about? Well, um, Judge is uh, six for twelve, I think, with three homers or whatever off Gosman. Right. And to hit him in the upper arm with a fastball, and then the next inning, CC hit Davis in the back with a with a breaking Okay. And, and nobody said anything. Everything right. was done. It was kind of understood. A little bit of old time baseball, which is fine. Uh, you had the you had the play by Joseph, which I I believe is going to be a, a highlight of the season. You, you've got you've got the yeah. play by Judge taking the home run away. Oh, it was, uh, a, you know, I mean, it, it was it was a fascinating baseball. It really game. was.
1: It really okay. was.
3: And it it was you know for the people who you know who who think that oh another thing is the Yankees were dropping one player in any. You know they yes. they did. They just put Sabathia and Drury on the on the when on on the, on the, the, the deal, yeah, yeah, and and they lost uh, Wade and
1: and Sanchez is hurt again. And
3: Sanchez, well, Sanchez was a cramp. I think. Yeah, yeah. I think he just cramped up after all those innings and, and not having to run around the bases with hits because he only has one two hits this season. But anyway, hey, we uh, it was just a fascinating baseball it really, game. It it really led to lent against the common. Thing that people want to put a runner on second base with nobody out next to any. Right, that's which, a, uh, that's a,
1: that's say. an idiotic idea. Hey, hey, Mike, we're talking with Mike Shallon, a columnist for the New Hampshire Union Leader, also an official scorer at Fenway Park. He's on his way to the park today uh, as the Red Sox face off against Tampa Bay Rays, who are off to as bad a start as the uh, Red Sox are off to as good a start. Wanted to talk to you about a play that happened last Sunday. This is not an official scoring thing at all, but it's a it's a, a old school versus new school, whatever the unwritten rules. Um, I
3: know where you're going.
1: Well, Jose Barrios is pitching now. I did hear this spin on it that the reason that the Twins were upset that uh, Chance Sisko bunted for a base hit in the ninth inning, down seven to nothing, is that the the Twins had intended if Barrios had pitched a one hitter. They were going to appeal to the official scorer to change his ruling, which I do agree. I thought the, the guy made an error in left field on the other hit by Cisco, but that was apparently one of the things they were thinking of doing. But anyway, Brian Dozier comes out and starts popping off about, hey, you know, uh, this is a kid. Uh, I'll let the veteran leadership over there, but boy, this is really uh, – that's the unwritten rule. You don't bunt against a guy, you know, like that. Uh, well, your thoughts on that?
3: Well, first of all, the Orioles didn't know that the Twins were going to feel the no hitter. Right. Uh, that's, that's the first thing. And second of all, why were the why were the Twins playing a shift? Exactly. So why, you know, I mean, I, you're playing the game. Uh, yeah, they can gotta... play.
1: They can play the game because they're up seven to nothing. But we can't try and make a comeback.
3: Right. Yeah. And 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 especially especially. A, a backup catcher, or, or a, a one and one A catcher, if you will. Yep. try trying trying to prove he belongs to the major leagues and two hits in the box score, no matter how you get them, look pretty good. Yes. I, I thought that whole thing was ridiculous. But, yeah. And I haven't seen the I haven't seen the other play. Did um,
1: Did you Did you see um, the comments from Brady Anderson, uh, the Orioles' vice president? He He basically said. He appreciated Dozier acknowledging that the Orioles had great clubhouse leadership. He said, "But that leadership wouldn't be needed there because Chance Cisco did the exact right thing, which was try to get on base by any means necessary."
3: Yes, I agree. Now, I don't. I. I the only the unwritten rule that I would follow is not to find if it was a As no a hitter. hitter. Hit. Correct. Yeah. Correct.
1: And the yeah, Orioles couldn't that. read the mind. They couldn't read the minds of. Uh, of the Twins players, that they were going to appeal that well, for Barrios.
3: Next time, next time, Molitor needs to shout over Buck. hey, Listen, we're going to appeal that call, so don't bunt, please. So I, you know, just to just to clear it up because it's all come in on Sports now anyway. In
1: in light of what we saw last year, which to me was. Mind-blowing how that thing escalated between the Red Sox and the Orioles. Now, I know it's vastly different because we're not in the same division as the Twins. We don't play them until July. Do you think the Orioles and Buck Showalter or, or at the Duquette-Anderson level should kind of uh, remind MLB about Dozier's comments and make sure that the Twins are put on notice not to throw at Cisco?
3: I think that—I think— uh... I think the Twins know. I mean, yeah, you know, it, it, it's easy to forget something that late. But I guarantee you that some erstwhile reporter we'll bring from some it up. newspaper is going to bring it up and say, "Hey, just keep an eye on the Twins yeah. throwing at the Orioles." Well, I, I really don't. I think it's something that's going to blow away
1: anyway. I'm I'm an erstwhile enough person to remind Buck about it about June fifteenth because, again, once the once. Pandora's box has been opened and something blows up in Minnesota July 6th, 7th or 8th. You you can't do anything then, but if you but if you suddenly the league calls the Paul Molitor and says, "Hey, there was some bad blood by Dozier. We we're, we're going to if if something happens, the pitcher and Dozier are getting suspended. I don't think you'll see anything
0: happen.
3: Well, if you want, if that's what constitutes bad blood, we're, we've got a very low <laughs> low bar, low bar on, on bad blood. I, I would, uh, I thought the 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 Red Sox Orioles thing was a little bit more vitriolic than that, and yep. also you know Java Chamberlain throwing at Kevin Uchilis every time he stepped to the batter's box. So uh, I, I would, I, I'm not even gonna. I'm not even circling it on my calendar.
1: You can all bring right. it up. I'll I'll talking. remind Buck. Hey, Mike, <laughs> always a pleasure to have you on, and uh, it's amazing how many times I get you on during the season that we have something that we can talk about that involves official scoring, and most of the time you've seen the play, even though it's not a Red Sox game. It's pretty amazing. Yeah,
3: well, that's what I pay all that money for Directv for, and uh, <laughs> and why why I have to publish books by. The Hometown Team, shameless plug, which is uh, available on Amazon now, and will be, in the, will be in bookstores everywhere. I don't now, know that's, far, the, that's
1: the book of the photography of Fenway Park for what? How many years?
3: Steve Babineau's four decades of shooting the Red Sox and me trying not to mess it up with the words around the pictures. And, and, right. Uh, so far, it's been very well received. And I think, uh, uh, again, we know how many Red Sox fans are in Baltimore because... How now we hear the cheer every time the Red Sox do anything down there? How
1: can but we? Yeah. How can we order that book? Do we go if we're we're out of market? Do we go to uh, Amazon?
3: Amazon Amazon has uh, the hometown team. I think even as a a slight discount, but every I mean, you can't imagine the number of really beautiful pictures. And every every mini chapter on the player includes a a full one page picture of that player. That's you great. Know, it's, a, it's a great picture in the book of. Uh, of Yaz and Ted Williams together, and it's really uh, you know, it's really Steve's life, life's work, and I was glad to go along for the ride.
1: Is there a picture of you in the book?
3: There's one picture of me and Jim Rice.
1: All right. Hey, we appreciate it. We'll plug the book every time we have you on this year, and I've got a couple people I know are Red Sox fans that make a great gift. Just one last thing for you. You know our yes. website, pressboxonline.com. If you yes. want to read some really good sports writing, go – Click on our website, pressboxonline.com, and then go up to the columns. Read some of Henneman's spring training stuff this year. At 82 years of age, he's still a master. It's unbelievable. Yes, he is.
3: And he's a, a oh. fellow official scorer. And I've known Jimmy for 40 years, and, and uh, nobody knows the game any better than he does.
1: Do me a favor and read a couple and email me and let me know what you think. He, he, wrote, be... he took the train down this year and was kind of... Playing a mind's eye thing of what it was like to, to only travel by train. He does a piece on he does a piece on uh, the the beat writers today versus his era and how much tougher today's guys have it. It's just fascinating stuff.
3: All right. Okay, I will. I'll take it.
1: I'll check it out. Thank you very much, Michael Shallon. Hey, All right. Take care. There you go, Mike Shallon, New Hampshire Union Leader and official scorer. Hey, want to welcome back. Before we welcome Mel Antonin and want to welcome back Big Bats, their third season as a sponsor of the Bat Around. Steve Garland's become not just a sponsor, he's a friend. His Bay, Bay Bridge traffic reports, by the way, are going to start next Saturday. Once a month we have Steve on to talk a little bit about how Big Bats is doing What's big on the screen there, the Caps, the Wizards, uh, and the Orioles and Nationals. You can watch the games down there. It is Ken Island's original sports bar. They get high marks for service, value, food, and atmosphere. They're right over the Bay Bridge if you're traveling to the eastern shore. The first exit, the Stevensville exit, about a quarter of a mile to the left. 81% of the reviews of Big Bats are of an excellent quality or very good quality. That's high marks indeed. The location, the address, 216 St. Clair Place, burgers, cheesesteaks, great salads, and more, all there for you at Big Bats in a baseball ambiance that is unbelievable for a baseball fan. So stop by at Big Bats on your way to the Eastern Shore.
0: When I think about things that have over-delivered in my life, I think about Blueberry Pie Oreos, I think about the first Kingsman movie, and now I think about hammering nails in the Owings Mills Metro Center. My first trip to the Ultimate Man Cave Nirvana blew me away. When I got there, I went to the back room. Oh, this is where the magic happens. I got my first ever manicure and pedicure treatment. It was so relaxing, I understand why a lot of guys actually fall asleep back there. The seat was custom-crafted for my comfort. I had a flat screen in front of me with noise-canceling headphones so I could watch whatever game I wanted to and I was even sipping on a nice adult beverage. Then I went out and Tracy hooked me up with a really stylish haircut. She took care of me with the shampoo treatment, the hot steam towel you can even get the close edge razor shave all at Hammer and Nails Owings Mills. Memberships are available they make a great gift. On Mondays you can rent out Hammer and Nails for your corporate event. Trust me when I tell you this is an experience all guys must have. Hammer and Nails grooming shop for guys now open in the Owings Mills Metro Center.
4: Spring into savings on a new car at Jerry's Toyota, Jerry's Chevrolet, and Jerry's Mitsubishi. Save a lot of money at Jerry's with free financing on over 800 new cars and trucks in stock. Jerry's has incredible springtime deals, like monthly payments as low as $129 a month on new Toyota RAV4s, Camrys, and Chevy Malibus and Cruises. Looking for a new SUV with third-row seating? Well, Jerry's has a great selection of models, including Toyota Highlanders, Chevy Traverses, and the Mitsubishi Outlander. If that's too much and you are shopping for a new crossover, Jerry's has great deals on new Toyota CHRs, Chevy Trax, and the all-new Mitsubishi Eclipse. Plus, right now at Jerry's Get Huge Huge savings on over 200 pre owned cars, trucks, and SUVs. Do it. Visit Jerry's Toyota on Bel Air Road or Jerry's Chevrolet and Mitsubishi on Joppa Road and online at Jerry's It's About You.com. Special financing and lease payments with approved credit through dealer designated lenders. Sale ends 4 30 18.
0: Okay, so what do you get when you combine the Chick-fil-A Vanilla Ice Dream and their Simply Orange juice? Well, introducing the all-new Frosted Sunrise from our friends at Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square. It's perfect with breakfast, lunch, or dinner. Nothing refreshes like the Chick-fil-A Frosted Sunrise. And hey, if you prefer lemon, try the Frosted Lemonade. Don't forget to think about Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square as well. For all of your catering needs, graduation parties coming up, Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square, $5198 Campbell. Boulevard in the Nottingham Square Shopping Center,
5: KZ, read the NFL Chick K.O. from the Pressbox Fantasy and reality football show. You can hear it by going to pressboxonline.com/slash/fantasy every Sunday morning from 10 a.m. to noon.
2: And you can also check us out on facebookcom slash Sports.
5: We talk about college football. We talk about the NFL. We talk about the fantasy aspect. We talk about the reality aspect, and we talk about soccer. The the other type of football? No, no, we don't. We don't. No, never. No. Yeah. Tennis? Nope. Rugby? Nope. No, just football. NFL football. football. College College football. football. Every Sunday morning, ten a.m. to noon. Press box fantasy and reality football show.
1: And we are back on the bat around round A reminder, Glenn Clark Radio every Monday through Friday from 10 to 12. I'll be in with Kyle Ottenheimer this Monday and Tuesday as Glenn is down in New Orleans uh, celebrating WrestleMania. So uh, I'll look forward to doing those shows on Monday and Tuesday with Kyle Ottenheimer. And remember, every Sunday you just heard the promo, but Ken Zalas and Sarita Hubbard, the NFL chick, uh, 10 to 12, Fantasy and Reality Football Program. Joining us now is a man who knows the difference between fantasy and reality. Very fine sports writer for many years with USA Today. Now with Mass in Sports and MassinSports.com. That is Mel And Mel, how are you?
6: Hey, good morning, Stan. I'm doing very well. I'm This This weather has got me in the baseball spirit, let me tell you. 30, <laughs> 30 degrees. We were, just talk,
1: winds. we were just talking to Mike Shallon on his way out to Fenway Park. Thirty five degrees up at Fenway Park. He says beautiful yeah. baseball weather up there.
6: <laughs> yeah. It's it's amazing. I understand about they start the season earlier, but you know, they can shorten the season and think about the fans a little bit. It's unfair to fans to pay big time prices and then sit out in this kind of weather watching baseball. I realize this 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 year is kind of an extreme. But at the same time, they could play a few more double headers.
1: That's season. you. You've hit the play, nail. You've hit the nail on the head. Is go back to playing about six double headers buys you another week. You know.
6: Yeah, one one a month. Yep. One a month would do it. The players would have more days off. The season would be shorter. There's no need to start opening day on March 29th. I believe game seven. On November fourth, and have everybody freeze their tail off.
1: It's just—it's just just kind of rude to the fans, but that's how they do it. That is how they do it. Uh, Mel, do you travel back and forth? I know you're—you're on Masson's Mid Atlantic Sports Report with Dave Johnson and Rob Long every day. Do you go to equally as many Nats games as Oriole games, or are you more? Yeah,
6: as many as I can. Yeah, as many as I can. Um,
1: so I mean, you uh, follow the Nats as closely. Oh, yeah, yeah.
6: Well, I'm. I'm pretty much at every Nats game and try to get as many oil games as possible. Yeah, well, the Nats. Are, the Nats are fun to follow,
1: to at yeah. the least. They're a good, good baseball team. There's no question about it. Your thoughts on the early going with the Nats right now? It's been like sort of a catch as catch can, hasn't it? Yeah, it has. They haven't.
6: They haven't pitched well. It's unusual that Scherzer and Strasburg have back-to-back starts where they're not uh, pitching very well. But it's, you know, it's only one week. There's going to be other weeks where they don't pitch well, too. But it's always more magnified at the beginning. The Nats, if they just play up to potential, uh, they, they have a chance to really dominate in the National League East. But having said that, the Mets are off to a good start with healthy pitching, and the Braves are looking awfully good as well.
1: It is, uh, and it's been fascinating to watch the Phillies, who there was high hope that they would be, and we're only one week into this, but there was a thought that the Phillies would be the team to to sneakily kind of jump up and challenge the um, the Washington Nationals. I know it's only a week, but the Gabe Kapler, and I'll throw Rob Thompson in there a little bit, It it must be that Gabe must be thinking he doesn't need much of a help from bench coach.
6: That's right. Gabe is, uh, Gabe is the extreme analytics person. He came into this managing job with the idea that he's the only one that knows what's going on, and that his ideas are the only things that work. He's, he's throwing tradition. He's not listening to anybody. He wants to do his role. Basically, he's already lost the clubhouse. It is amazing. We all have it in different jobs that we have. Some people right. come in and think they know everything. I mean, that's something kind of Gabe Kapler has done. But by all accounts, he's lost the clubhouse already with some of the things he's done and the goofy things he's said.
1: Well, so well, how good. do you? How do you? And and again, Rob Thompson, who I don't know, but I I know the name, and he's he was with Joe Girardi his pretty much his entire stay as Yankee manager. So there's a veteran guy. It's hard to imagine that he's paying attention to Rob if he walks out to make a pitching change and there's nobody warming up. Yeah,
6: yeah, I think so. That that's that was one problem. The second problem is, you know, he didn't start the Phillies' best player, most popular player on opening day, Odubel Herrera, simply because analytics told him not to. I mean, that's really ridiculous. He took Aaron Nola out of a game, 68 pitches, because analytics told him that he couldn't get through the lineup for the third time. It's just extreme examples. Analytics are important in the game; they're good tools. But when you go to extreme, it's really bad. Going back to your first question about how good the Phillies can be, the Phillies are a very good team. They have blue chip prospects at at virtually every position. They could to make a run if they get some pitching. They could very much improved, but um, we'll see how the Gabe Kapler effect.
1: Yeah, uh, you know, at this point in time, I cannot remember a manager we could have said that with one week into the season that he's lost a clubhouse. How can a guy like that regain the trust? Is it starting to to do a few more things that run counter to him being almost like a robot?
6: Yeah, I think that's right. I think he has to.
1: He has to have, start having a. Meetings be a little bit more personal.
6: admit some mistakes, and, and listen to the players and what they need. Not I mean to tell the players this is how it's going to be done and this is what you need to do. This is how you need to eat. This is what you need to do before the game, all that. Just kind of relax a little bit. Again, the Phillies have good, young pitching. If that pitching develops, uh, you know, they could win. They were a game over five hundred in their last 60 games last year, so that, that tells you something right there.
1: Yeah, you know, do you have in mind a time frame where again it would be ultra embarrassing for Matt Clentac and uh, Andy McPhail to pull the plug on that? I've I was a ball boy with the Baltimore Bullets back in 1965, the first year Mike Farmer was the head coach of an NBA team and Mike had retired a couple of years before played for the St. Louis Hawks. He was fired seven games into his first season. Uh, I know Cal Ripken was senior was fired seven or eight games into his second season. But I mean, s- does something have to change pretty quickly, or do they make an adjustment there? I think something has to change quickly in Gabe Kapler. Maybe the team starts winning,
6: and this boils down a little bit. Yeah. But if it continues with the same intensity, if it continues with the same intensity. That it has in the first week, it's going to be a trouble. It's yeah. going to be troublesome, and Matt Kempak is going to be responsible for this. Yep. It looks on him as much as it does Gabe. He made a, at this point, it looks like he made a bad decision. Maybe yeah. things will turn around. I don't know. Spe- but uh,
1: Spe- you don't know. You just never know. Speaking of uh, good decisions for a moment, uh, this Shohei Otani was was so uh, such a promising player, both as a pitcher and a hitter that he forced um, a lot of the sports services to really rethink uh, how he would be um, handled in fantasy baseball, and a lot of leagues ended up voting to have two Otanis, believe it or not, you know, one an offensive <laughs> player and one. Then it looked like it was ridiculous during spring training to have even contemplated having a player who dwarfed the value of a Mike Trout, but now, all of a sudden, we're a week into the season. He's homered in three straight games. He's pitched a very decent start. His first one, uh, only giving up that three-run homer to Chapman. Uh, other than that, no blemishes there. This guy may really be the real deal. Mel. <laughs>
6: yeah, the time will tell. You know he's more as a hit pitcher than as a hitter. Yeah. But it looks like he's hitting as well. And the learning curve you have in learning major league pitching. Learning to hit major league pitching, and you can imagine how hard it is when you only bat two or three times a week in a game. It's different if you're playing seven days a week, but. It's interesting. If he keeps hitting, if he take at bats away from Albert Pujols, that would be the question.
1: We're talking with Mel Antonin of MassInSports.com and and Massin Sports. He's on every day on the Mid-Atlantic Sports Report with Dave Johnson and, of course, Rob Long. Uh, we're talking more of the national scene right now. We'll get back into the Orioles and um, and the Nationals in a moment. One of the teams, when we talk about good decisions, bad decisions, I'm looking at the Dodgers team, and I, I'm wondering if the Dodgers didn't miscalculate what the what they have and don't have. Now I'm again, I know they've got two really stud pitching prospects at Kid Uranus uh, and also uh, Walker Buchner. Uh, I think that's how you pronounce his name, but neither of those guys are up right now. Did, the, did Andrew Friedman, did he miscalculate? He knew Alex Cobb pretty well, and the kind of money that Cobb got, while it's a huge expenditure for the Orioles, would have been kind of meal money for Andrew Friedman out in L.A. Uh, did they miscalculate how, how much pitching they have? Uh, yeah, I think they did. Um, Clayton Kershaw
6: obviously is good, assuming he's back, stays healthy. Yep. Well, Alex would go 10 and 0 again. Who
3: knows?
6: The rest of the staff. There's a lot of questions. But the reason the Dodgers didn't spend any money is they spent 192 million the previous year. Right. They gave up for Clayton Kershaw. They spent money on Turner, Justin Turner, and Kenley Jansen. And then they're waiting for the next free agent class. They're banking that their pitching staff is going to be as good as as it was last year. But early on it hasn't looked that good. and I think Alex Wood is their
1: number two starter can be a big question. The, you know, the, the most questionable thing about their starting rotation is that it's so heavily, you know, I mean, Dan Duquette obsesses over having a left-handed starter, but they've got, what, four of them. They've got Rayu, Kershaw, Hill, and Wood. It, that seems to be kind of ass-backwards. Well, yeah,
6: it
1: It kind of worked out that way,
6: but there's not much you can do about it, I guess. uh, You know, they loved Rich Hill when they signed him, and he's 37 years old. But you can't worry about that stuff. You just have to. uh...
1: Do we still have you there, Mel?
6: Coincidence in anything.
1: Yep. Yep. Um, Go ahead. Getting back to the Orioles. I think we lost Mel Anton. Okay. I thought we had a rough connection there anyway. We'll try and make our connection with Mel Antonin in just a moment. Orioles are squaring off against the Orioles. are. I think you turned my mic off. The Orioles are, are uh, squaring off against New York Yankees at 105. As of about 10 minutes ago, the Orioles have not put out their lineup just yet at 1054. Um, I'm not exactly sure when they have that posted. It might be by 11.05. But uh, the Yankees lineup is, is I'll tell you, if you talk about a lineup that, that might help Chris Tillman navigate through, um, Gardner, Judge, Stanton, Gregorius, then Tyler Austin at first base, Andujar at third base, Jace Peterson in left field, Austin Romine is the catcher. Ronald Torres at second base. Mel Antonin joins us. And, Mel, I was just going through. The Orioles haven't posted their lineup yet, but let me read this in case you didn't hear the whole thing. Yankee lineup facing Chris Tillman today. Brett Gardner, Aaron Judge, Giancarlo Stanton, Dede Gregorius, and then this is what Chris Tillman gets. Tyler Austin at first base. Miguel Andohar at third base, Jace Peterson and left, Austin Romine, the catcher, Ronald Torres at second base. Uh, Buck Showalter and Chris Tillman got a little lucky today, it looks like.
6: Well, the Yankees are injured. They got three or four outfielders under the sample list, Fraser, Hicks. So um, they're short outfielders. Um, and then um, the standing at first base, you know, Burt, those, those guys would. Wouldn't probably be playing first base if Greg Bird were uh, were healthy and all that. So the right. Yankees have a little advantage, and where the Orioles are catching a break playing the Yankees now is that the Yankees bullpen has not been what everybody thought it would be. I mean, it's supposed to be really good, and it probably will be real good. But in the first week of the season, it hasn't been. it's been very explosive and and it's been, um, it's been uh, they've been giving up a lot of runs. So that's a break for the Orioles.
1: I was unclear if Shallon told me that Seb- Sabathia and Drury are on the DL. Uh, I'm not sure if that's the case. Sanchez also left last night's game in the 14th inning with a cramp in his calf, and he's not in the lineup today. Austin Romine is catching. That seems to be a little bit of a problem for Sanchez. He does seem to be a little bit injury-prone.
6: Yeah, he can be injury-prone. Uh, CeCe left last night with a hip injury. I think we'll know more today on that. But, uh, yeah, the Yankees have bullpen issues
1: and injury issues to begin the season. You know, the, fl- the flip side of that, that discussion about the Dodgers that we were into and about whether they miscalculated, one team that doesn't seem to have miscalculated is the Arizona Diamondbacks off to a 6-1 and one start and going back to last year, I think they've beaten the Dodgers, is it nine straight games, Mel? Yeah. Yeah. Well, the Dodgers
6: are awfully good. Uh, they've got a lot of good young pitching. Robbie Ray is developing into one of the best lefties in the National League. Um, they always have good offense with Paul Goldsmith. And the fact that A.J. Pollock and uh, David Peralta are healthy, that's going to make them even better offensively. Uh, uh, the Diamondbacks are not a surprise. They're a good young team. They've got a good blend of young and old, and uh, they're a team that that is going to contend. They're, they're going to be back in the they're going to be back in the race in September. We're going to be hearing a lot about them simply because they're healthy. In 2016, they weren't healthy and they fell apart. Last year they made the playoffs. This year they're going to contend
1: again. You know what's interesting? Uh, we we roundly criticize Dan Duquette sometimes for the Orioles' lack of effort in the international scouting world, uh, especially with these Cuban players and all that. Um, the Both the Red Sox and Diamondbacks gave big contracts to Rosny Castillo in the Red Sox part, and the Diamondbacks, Yo, Yosmany Tomas, and both of them have not panned out. Huge losses uh, in the sixty, seventy million dollar range for each of those clubs.
6: It's hard to figure out because certainly the Orioles, or certainly the teams that signed those players, the Red Sox and the Dbacks, have scouted them. You know, it wasn't just a knee jerk reaction right. to sign those guys because they were good players, but they, for some reason, whatever, don't work out. And uh, it is amazing how much money teams can spend. And players that don't work out. When you, everybody says they think they will, but then they don't. Tomas is a classic example
1: of that. Hey, I don't know Castillo how. I haven't heard
6: about him for a long time. No
1: he's he's been a reg- He's been the highest played player in the minor leagues this side of Alan Craig, who whose contract finally expired. Uh, but Castillo, I think, being paid fifteen eighteen million a year to be uh, an okay player at Pawtucket, and uh, really that's not what the Red Sox and Dave Dombrowski. Uh, embarked upon there. The other player that they signed, the Cuban, was Yohan Mankata, who they traded in the Chris Sale trade, who's off to a, a bumpy ride but I uh, understand his I'm hearing his Waba, which I don't even know what it means, but it, uh, his hit rate, I mean his hard hit ball rate is very high. He's been hitting into some bad luck, but I think he's under 200 so far.
6: Uh, he's- He's off to a slow start, but he's a good prospect. He's going to have his ups and downs. But he made an impression last year, enough of an impression to say, he's ready to play in the big leagues. But who knows why he's slow starting. Maybe it's just expectations, whatever. He's, he's, he's pretty much as close to camp as you can uh, as you can be.
1: One more uh, topic I uh, wanted to run by you. The San Francisco Giants were hopeful that with what they had in place with Bumgarner and Samarja, that a couple veteran big bats that they could get a little bit cheaply in terms of the return in prospects, Evan Longoria and um, uh, Andrew McCutcheon, uh, neither one of those has gotten off to a good start with San Francisco, and they lost Bumgarner and Samarja. They're, They're a bumpy ride, aren't they? Yeah, they
6: really are. They're trying to keep the window open one more time, they were trying to decide between rebuilding and going for it. They decided to go for it, given that they sell out every night. Uh, but eventually, they're going to they're gonna have to rebuild. I mean, you look at that pitching staff. who hasn't pitched well since he's been a giant anyway. Now Baumgarten has hurt. You look at that rotation and go, who are these guys? I haven't heard of any of these guys. Quato's on the rotation, obviously. But the other guys you haven't ever heard of, so... I would say San Francisco is the fourth-best team ahead of San Diego but behind the Rockies, the D-backs, and the Dodgers in the National League West.
1: Before I let you go, uh, and we're having Craig Heist on in a few minutes, so we'll, of course, kick around this topic. Mike Rizzo got an extension, which I don't think any of us thought he was going anywhere. But are you surprised again – at how the learners handled something like this. In other words, there's not anything in the way Rizzo's handled his job, comported himself uh, as a person that would make me think he wasn't deserving of more, like a four or five year extension. He got and two. Might be, he got two it years. Might be,
6: yeah, he got two years. It might be all he wants at this point. He was very happy with it. Mm-hmm. Everybody was questioning why wasn't Mike Rizzo being signed earlier, right. given, as you said, he was, he's was he been such a great general manager. And I think it was the fact that both sides realized it was going to get done. And like the that said uh, on opening day, he said, uh, my learner said uh, on opening day that, uh, hey, we just didn't get around to talking about it. But the reason we got it done now and got it done quickly is because it started to become a distraction in the clubhouse. we yep. were talking about it and wondering, and they just didn't want to do that at the end of the season. I think it was more obvious that both
1: sides knew that it was going to happen, and they just didn't get it done until they realized, "Hey, this is becoming a distraction. We better get it done." Flip side of that is, uh, and I think um, in in light of some some of the events that are going to become more public over the next few days, uh, the Orioles have have had sort of a a non-starting situation with both their manager and Vice President of Baseball Ops, Dan Duquette. Um, how do you expect that to shake out?
6: <laughs> That's a great question.
1: Yeah. I don't know.
6: I mean, Dan Duquette has been very mum about it. Mike Showalter has been very mum about it. And neither one of those two want to talk. And, and you know, there's not a lot of lot of inside information out there. I don't know I it's, it's a dangerous, not a dangerous situation, but it's a, it's, it's it's a, a it's it can a be curious. a bizarre situation if, you know, just down the road, uh, nobody knows for sure who's going to be running the teams. There's going to be all new scouts, all new assistant general
3: managers, all that kind of stuff.
6: So there's a possibility of a very big change, or there's a possibility of incredible stability. But boy, that knowing... Which way it's going to go, or trying to predict, I have no idea because certainly Dan DeCote deserves to come back. But yep. so Walter, I'm sure, has been a good manager. It's just a matter of what everybody wants to do. And unless they tell you, it's pretty hard to read their mind.
1: All right, Mel Antonin, you can read him at MassInsports.com. Can see him every day on the Mid Atlantic Sports Report with Dave Johnson and Rob Long. Many thanks, Mel. I'll see you at the park this week. I'm sure. All right, Stan. See you later. Thanks for having me. All right, there he goes, Mel Antonin. Uh, and we're going to make our next connection in just a moment with Craig Heist. Again, the Orioles have, uh, as of 11.04 this morning, have not posted their lineup. Um, Buck Showalter must be carefully uh, weighing right now. He must be carefully weighing uh, who's who's healthy enough to play or not. But the Yankees, again, we mentioned their lineup. It is, it is not... A veritable, uh, uh, it is not a powerful lineup today for the Yankees. Now, of course, the first four hitters of that lineup can do damage uh, to any pitcher. Uh, But, uh, again, Chris Tillman pitching for the Orioles, he could use a break. He needs a good start to solidify his place in this rotation. With Alex Cobb due to come up and Mike Wright, is coming off of probably his best start in three years um, since he came up originally in 2015, I think. Maybe it was 16 when he had those first two or three starts that were good. His game against the Astros the other night was pretty darn good. Um, would have liked to have gotten six innings out of him, but I thought Buck made the right move. Uh wasn't Buck's fault. What do we got, a problem with Craig Heiss' number? Uh, I don't
2: think he wants to be on the show today. He's not picking up.
1: (laughs) Uh, I'm not sure about that, but we'll got to make sure we've got the right phone number for Mr. Heist. Um, We're also going to have Jim Henneman uh, will be joining us at um, about 1120. And here is make sure I gave you the right number. Did I put a 410 on there? No, I gave you. Did I give you the right number for Craig Heist? All right, don't understand why. Maybe you can text him. Uh, anyway, we'll be joined by Heisty in just a couple minutes, provided we can make our contact with him. Uh, but Jim Henneman going to join us at about eleven twenty, and at eleven thirty-five, we'll be joined by former Orioles right-hander and now the last Oriole pitcher to, th- to win 20 games back in 1987, Mike Boddicker. And Mike will join us today for a little bit of a bittersweet uh, reason. Um, understand Peter Schmuck spoke to him during spring training this year after the passing of Sammy Stewart. And uh, understand Mike was uh, – Very upset uh, about the passing of Sammy Stewart. I just did not know the nature of their relationship and thought we'd explore that a little bit and talk to, always fun to talk to Mike Boddicker, one of my favorite Oriole pitchers. Well, one of my favorite Oriole observers and national observers is my man, Craig Heist, who uh, off times is sitting across from me on Saturday mornings with uh, doing the bat around. His other day job is being with 106.7, the fan, uh, they cover the national games, and that is Craig Heiss. Craig, how are you? I'm good. They're still not giving you money for that, though. <laughs> still, who's still not giving me money for what? 106.7. <laughs> oh, yeah, they're still not giving me any money. Yeah. I know. It's, it, it, right. it's a terrible thing. How, how are you? I'm doing good, and it's Jake Odorizzi, right?
7: Jake, Jake Odorizzi, right? right? And, and Danny, Danny Hedger H- right. I right? Exactly. Right. I got it. There you go.
1: Right. All right. Craig is always there. To point out my mistakes and foibles, and boy, that's a full time job, isn't it, Craig?
7: Well, that's what we're here for. You know, you you do that to me, I do that to you, and we get along.
1: <laughs> hey, question before we talk baseball, uh, yeah. David, David Ginsberg, all intents and purposes, is a pretty bright individual, right? Right. I mean, he's a solid citizen. What
7: the hell? Are, is he, are you going to ask me why? Why he's is at WrestleMania? WrestleMania? Why
1: is he at WrestleMania? <laughs> Okay. And do you respect is, him for this,
7: that? Oh yes, of course. Yeah. But I mean, I think it's ridiculous. But keep in mind, much like the internet back in uh, 1996, when basically we were all on AOL and and, right. and the dial up, and Pete Kurtzel decided to tell him or or ask about it. He said, "You know, you should get me another phone line uh, because." Uh, I could be here with you and look up stats and things of that nature. Right. And, and Dave looked at him and said, I am not spending money on another phone line just so you can sit here and talk to people <laughs> that you know. He says, this internet thing will never fly. It's a <laughs> passing fad. <laughs> well, yeah. okay. So flashback circa about seven years ago. Right. WrestleMania.
1: Right. He said or that or would never
7: pro f- re- Yeah, Pro wrestling in general. Right. I am never, go- how can you go out there and spend money, hard-earned money to watch this trash? <laughs> it's fake. It, it's, it's no relevance at all. He goes one time with his kid, Jaron, right. and he's hooked for he's ho- life. <laughs> he's hooked for
1: life. I love it. I love it. How many times has he gone now? Is this like his fifth time down there?
7: I yeah I know I know he went to one in in uh, in New Orleans before I know he was he goes to a couple uh, not WrestleManias but wrestling shows that come to either D.C. or Baltimore right. and I know he was at WrestleMania up at the Meadowlands at the new place uh where the Jets and the and the Giants play Met life I guess it is
1: hey um, moving on from uh, the ridiculous to the sublime you you pretty <laughs> much know when when managers put out their um, lineups. Is there a rule as to how close to uh, first pitch you have to at least present an initial lineup? It's eleven. Uh, it's eleven ten now, uh, and the Orioles have not posted their lineup for a one o'clock game.
7: Uh, and I just walked away from my computer and to come in the room to do this interview. So you know, I didn't check before I came in. Uh, I don't know. Could be just you know, Buck. Uh, you you got to have it in. I would think before like forty five minutes or uh, so before okay. game time. But uh, my, my my guess is Bucks just taking a head count as who's available and right. things of that nature coming off that game last night.
1: Right? Did you? Uh, where were you last night? Were you watching the well, Oriole game, or were you? I was I was at the Wizards, Wizards game. game. I was
7: keeping I was keeping track of the Orioles game online. But right. then I got home. Uh, and I guess I got home around the tenth inning, so I saw everything from there on down.
1: So that was your version of talking to people that you know online.
7: Was yeah, following
1: exactly. the Oreo game. Yeah, uh, boy, that was a. Did now? Did you when? By the time you got home, was the game still on?
7: Yeah, yeah. yeah I I got home around uh, just shortly before n- midnight. midnight, and uh, uh, so, I I wound up turning it on, and uh, the game obviously had just gone into extra innings, and it was tied. So I did not see Gregorius's home run in the eighth inning. I guess it was right. Uh, uh, but then you know certainly. I thought the Orioles were going to be done in uh, when Gibbons on court got wild pitching. Boy, what a tenth inning he had striking yep. out the side and some of the hitters that he went through uh, in that batting order. But then in the eleventh, when he had to, you know, when he had to come up big uh, going to the plate to cover, he came in and, and made it just a super play.
1: You know, uh, we we beat uh, Dan Duquette up a little bit about the uh, Rule Five guys and um, and how tough they can make it on Buck Showalter. But I got to tell you, I think he's, I think, first of all, I think he's got a good one in Santander. I don't know if he'll stick all this year. He certainly is going to stick those first 45 days because he can play. Uh, I like the other parts of his game. I love the fact he's a switch hitter, and I love the fact that I think he runs well and runs hard, and he's a good defender. Uh, But this kid, Pedro Arujo, is really, um, he's quite impressive.
6: Quite impressive. He did have a little bit of
1: a rough
7: uh, outing, uh, I guess, the last time before last night. But uh, I, I like the way he throws the ball, Stan. Yep. And uh, he kept some of those guys off balance uh, by getting them to the swing at pitches out of the strike zone. Uh, and, and I think that can bode very well for him uh, going forward in terms of uh, making pitches appear to be something that they're not. And as a result... Guys are flailing in pitches against pitches that are either off the plate or down in the dirt and have late action to them. Uh,
1: moving on to the national scene for a little bit. Been a little surprising, uh, the, the, the lack of stellar pitching so far. Of course, we know it's early, but you're not used to seeing Scherzer be anything but brilliant. And Strasburg, generally, if he's healthy, he's brilliant as well. Uh, your early thoughts on the Nationals?
7: I don't have any problems with what they've done. I mean, Scherzer gave up a three-run homer against the Braves uh, his last time out, and uh, he battled and gutted through six innings. Uh, Strasburg, uh, you know, probably not as sharp as he would have liked the last time out, but, I mean, he was fine the first time out, and so was Scherzer. They started 4-0, Uh you know, and 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 Scherzer was just lights out against the Reds. Strasburg pitched very well. Uh, you know, Tanner Roark uh, has has thrown the ball well. I don't think there's any room for concern. Uh, the the big blow in that one game they lost uh, uh, to the Braves was the Kinsler or Kinsler giving up. Or I'm sorry, the Mets here the other day was Kinsler giving up the grand slam. Uh, in the seventh inning, and uh, he thought he probably had somebody struck out, Uh, but then Jay Bruce launched the Grand Slam, and that put four runs on the board, and that made a one-run game a five-run game, and it was all over for all intents purposes.
1: We're talking to Craig Heist, and Craig, the flip side of the Nationals discussion, it's a division that they've fairly dominated the the past few years or the past couple years, Uh, but if the Mets pitching is healthy, and I'm speaking of DeGrom, uh, Harvey, uh, DeGrom, Syndergaard, and maybe even Matt Harvey, that changes that picture a little bit, doesn't it?
7: It changes that picture not just for the Mets, but it changes it for me, for the, for the Braves as well, because yep. they've uh, played very well here early on. And to some degree, I think it'll change it for the Phillies too, although being Gabe Kapler's first year and his issues early on have been well-documented somewhat unfairly I think but yeah. nonetheless this is a young team but a young team with a lot of good talent on it Stan so I don't think they're going to be you know the the you know the rollovers that they have been the past couple of years but especially if you look at the second half of last year and what the Phillies did uh, that set them up for you know maybe a pretty decent start to this season we'll just have to wait and see what it what it, how it plays out over the first month or so uh, but yeah, I fully expect the nationals to win this division, but uh, nothing like, uh, they did last year or some of the years that they've run away with it. I think it's going to be much more competitive this year. And when you have everybody in the division playing each other 18, 19 times, they beat up on one another. Uh, you know, perfect example of the Orioles. They, you know, the, last year they went what two and seven at Yankee stadium here. The Orioles already have matched their win total at Yankee stadium. Uh, you know, you know, from all of last year. So again, when you're playing that many games within your division uh, and you're beating up on each other, yeah, that has a tendency to keep that division race pretty close.
1: We're talking to Craig Heist of one oh six point seven, the fan. They're the national the home of Nationals baseball on the radio over in the nation's capital. They play at one oh five today, as do the uh, Orioles and the Yankees. The Mets are in Washington. Steven Matz against Gio Gonzalez today. Um, I know you haven't spent a world of time with him yet because I don't think you went to spring training. I know you didn't go to spring training, but what are your early impressions? Uh, And and I'm not trying to be cute because you've probably only seen him manage one game live, uh, but you've watched a couple of the games, you've heard people talking, and you got to meet him when he was first hired. Your early impressions of Dave Martinez.
6: Well,
7: my impressions are what I know of him from the past. Mm-hmm. and I had a chance to talk to him several times when he was with Joe Madden when he was with Tampa. And then, of course, Madden took him to Chicago uh, with the Cubs. Uh, I think he's a guy that likes to, you know, let the players kind of handle their own business. And this is a veteran enough group where I think that can happen uh, here in D.C., uh, I've had no troubles with anything that he's done in terms of uh, moves that he's made to this point. Uh, I know Mike Rizzo feels uh, pretty good about it. We had a chance to talk to Mike because they just extended his contract. Yep. Uh, the Nationals have through 2020. So uh, he gets this year 19 and 20. And I think that's a real good uh, thing it, to have happen. Was this te- happened.
1: Was technically, was this year? A new year, so is it a three-year deal or is it a two-year it, deal? It's essentially a
7: three because it, it ran out. It's a two-year extension, okay. But it's a
6: three because he was
7: he was working was without a contract, right.
1: right? Okay, right. Uh, your thoughts on before we let you go, because we got Jim Henneman joining us in just a couple minutes. Uh, your thoughts on that? Was it an odd term to you? Do you think he deserved a four or five? Uh, or is well, it sort of in line with how the Nationals handle management?
7: I think it's kind of in line with the way they handle management. The other thing I think plays into this, too, is the Bryce Harper situation to some degree because Scott uh, is, is is one of those guys that are going to say, well... You know, Mike is there now. How does this, you know, bode well? And, and you know, mm-hmm. Bryce always talks highly of Mike Rizzo. I understand. So he's, is, I
1: understand. He's very fond of Mike Rizzo. Yeah.
7: Right, and 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 so are a lot of the other guys too. Because yep. Rizzo's got an open line of communication with most all the players, and uh, and and I think the players really respect that aspect coming from the general manager. So. From that standpoint, the line of communication is always open. I think, you know, the two-year deal, a lot of this is going to have to depend whether or not he gets a four- or a five-year deal later on. Right. Will depend on, number one, if for some reason Bryce Harper leaves, can he keep this team mm-hmm. competitive for a long haul if Bryce isn't here? Yeah and certainly he's been one of the architects he, yeah. you know he's the architect yeah. that brought Strasberg here that brought you know Harper here that brought you know, Scherzer Rendon. there yeah yep. Yeah, there's a lot of good players on this yeah. team, and this farm system is starting to rebuild again. So there's some talent at the minor league level.
1: Before we let you go, we're going to be joined in just a couple of minutes by uh, Jim Henneman. Aside from personal affection, I sent you a column. You know, I said I, I don't know if you saw this on PressBoxOnline.com. And by the way, the headline's been changed. Those th- th- those reflections were not his final reflections ever yeah. spring training there was final sure. reflections for 2018 um we made that change uh because few of us thought jim was sort of saying hey that was definitely my last trip he said nothing yeah. of the kind but your thoughts of jim not as a friend not as a person just as a writer
7: well i mean he's a great writer always has been i mean you don't spend as many years number one covering the 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 team for the Baltimore Sun, like he did as, as one of their beat guys, right? And this goes back into the day, and and then to be able to almost do it from a columnist standpoint as well, which is what he's doing now. But I mean, he, he's always been a great writer, and and a real good friend, as you point out. Yep. Uh, but but when I the first thing I thought about when I saw that first initial headline was. As Johnny Oates used to say, good Lord willing, and the creeks don't rise, there's no way you're telling me that Jim Henneman is not going to another spring training.
1: All right. Hey, many thanks for joining us. We'll hope to see you in the studio next week. Brittany, All right, Brittany. Brittany misses you.
7: Well, you know, I, I had a chance to stream the the show uh, on Facebook and, and to share it, and I noticed that she's wearing the hat today. So she's obviously got some kind of game coming up after the show today. She's
1: all over the map, though. She's wearing the Under Armour shirt and the Nike hat.
7: Well, no, no, nothing says fashion more than Britney. Brittany. <laughs> yeah.
1: hey, uh, well, many thanks, and we'll uh, see you next week. All right, buddy? All right, Sam. Take all right, care. Enjoy the game today. All right, we are going to make our way to a commercial break, and uh, leading off that commercial break is the news that uh, for third straight season, on the third year of Big Bats, uh, of of the Bat round, that Big Bats and Steve Garland are back as a sponsor. I couldn't be happier because I love talking about Big Bats. Huge marks for service, value, food, and atmosphere right over the Bay Bridge. They are Ken Island's original sports bar. And as I said, they're the first exit across the Bay Bridge if you're going to the eastern shore. They've got great burgers, great salads, great subs, cheese steaks, you name it. They've got it. Great soups, um, great desserts, and uh, the beverages aren't bad there either. Beautiful sports bar. They've got great baseball ambiance. It's all there for you at 216 St. Clair Place in Stevensville. If you want to call on your way down just to make sure that you can get a spot there, Uh, 410-604-1120. If you do live somewhere right near the Bay Bridge on one side or the other, stop by my friend Steve Garland's Big Bats Cafe. Uh, They're well worth it, and they do. Again, they get huge marks for service, value, food, and atmosphere right over the Bay Bridge. Ken Island's original sports bar, Big Bats.
0: When I think about things that have over-delivered in my life, I think about Blueberry Pie Oreos, I think about the first Kingsman movie, and now I think about Hammer and Nails in the Owings Mills Metro Center. My first trip to the Ultimate Man Cave Nirvana blew me away. When I got there, I went to the back room. Oh, this is where the magic happens. I got my first ever manicure and pedicure treatment. It was so relaxing, I understand why a lot of guys actually fall asleep back there. The seat was custom-crafted for my comfort. I had a flat screen in front of me with noise-canceling headphones so I could watch whatever game i wanted to and i was even sipping on a nice adult beverage then i went out and tracy hooked me up with a really stylish haircut she took care of me with the shampoo treatment the hot steam towel you can even get the close edge razor shave all at hammer and nails owings mills memberships are available they make a great gift on mondays you can rent out hammer and nails for your corporate event trust me when i tell you this is an experience all guys must have hammer and nails grooming shop for guys now open in the owings mills metro center
5: this week on Section 336, we recap our opening day experience.
6: I'm focused on the game. I look over. Bert is leaned over on the guy with his hands up, rubbing under the guy's beard.
1: What are you talking about? <laughs> what? <laughs> you don't remember this? No. <laughs> Bert, Bert is... <laughs> I overdo it on opening day, I think. <laughs> Find
6: Section 336 on iTunes and on pressboxonline.com and wherever you get your
1: podcasts. The latest edition of Press Box is available now. On the cover, Steve Ginsburg profiles Orioles' sage sophomore Trey Mancini after a breakout rookie campaign. We also preview all aspects of the 2018 Orioles and look ahead to the NFL draft. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores, You can also find the entire edition as well as the best daily coverage of the Ravens,
0: Orioles, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. Hey, it's Glenn, and you might not know this, but we actually have a great wrestling podcast. Well, it's an okay wrestling podcast.
3: No, 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 Don't sell us short, Glenn. This podcast involves the main event, AJ Francis. That means it is the best
4: wrestling podcast. Look, just just because you're bigger than us does not mean you're better than us. It does not mean you're the main event.
0: The brains are the one that brings people to the table when it comes to podcasts. So it's me who brings people to jobbing out. Are you kidding me? Aaron Oster from the Baltimore Sun and Rolling Stone, you're the worst. Literally the worst. Like, no one has ever tuned in for your opinion. Got real, real, (laughs) real quick. It's jobbing out, Glenn Clark, and hoster, and A.J. Francis of the Washington Redskins. he Every week we're talking pro wrestling. You can find it by going to Jobbing Out on iTunes or SoundCloud or by clicking on the podcast tab at pressboxonline.com.
1: And we are back with the Bat Around. It is uh, Saturday morning. Joining us in a few minutes will be uh, former Orioles right-handed pitcher Mike Boddicker. Uh, Mike, of course, uh, came up in that 83 season to stay in the big leagues. And uh, he had that big year and won 20 games for the Orioles in 1987. And would then become the last line on a ledger that shows he is the last Orioles 20 game winner. 13 more seasons before 2000. And then, what, 17? So 17, that's over 30 years. Uh, since Mike Boddicker uh, won 20 games for the Baltimore Orioles. And and, and in an odd twist, uh, Mike Boddicker will always live as a connection because he's the guy that brought us Brady Anderson. Uh, And in a trade that when you reflect on what the Orioles ended up doing, they acquired Brady Anderson and Kurt Schilling, borderline Hall of Famer, Uh, I mean, and one of the best big game pitchers there is or there has ever been is Kurt Schilling. But the Orioles got Schilling and Anderson um, for uh, Mike Boddicker uh, at that time. And uh, Mike, you know, he did okay in Boston, but he, he didn't quite have the impact that I think the Red Sox thought they'd have, that he'd have. Lou Gorman, I believe, was the general manager back then when Boston traded for him. But again, Mike Boddicker, not only the last 20-game winner in Orioles history, he um, for the foreseeable future, as long as Brady Anderson's involved, he will be the guy that helped bring uh, uh, one of the vice presidents and key movers and shapers shakers of the Baltimore Orioles. The Orioles, by the way, getting set to take on the New York Yankees, the Orioles still let's see, let's see. It's now eleven twenty-eight, and the Orioles have not posted their lineup. The Yankees, <coughs> and again, I don't know the actual um, rules and regulations as to when. Now you can make a change to your lineup to the last minute if there's a an injury where you can do some gamesmanship and say, "Well, I thought he was healthy, but he's." Uh, His uh, his calf is bothering him, so I had to pull him out. But um, I don't think there's any rules that uh, obligate you, uh, you know, up until five minutes before game time for changing it. But normally, by 90 minutes before, you've got a lineup. It might be a little tougher uh, with the Orioles having played 14 innings last night. It would seem that the problem would be the pitching staff – not the position players and what the lineup would be, but Buck Showalter playing at KG. But again, we'll read you that Yankee lineup. Leading off for the New York Yankees, Brett Gardner. Aaron Judge is in right field. Giancarlo Stanton is the DH. DD Gregorius at shortstop. And then this is not exactly the murderer's row portion of a New York Yankees lineup that we're used to seeing. Tyler Austin at first base. Miguel Andohar, both good prospects, no question about it. Andohar at third base. Jace Peterson in left field. Austin Romine, the catcher. Ronald Torres, second baseman. Now, again, remember, Greg Bird already on the DL. Uh, Gary Sanchez left last night's game in the top of the 14th inning with some cramping in his look like his calf. So you're figuring he's off just because of that, that he probably could come in as a pinch hitter. They would not like to have him catch, I'm sure, today. But Jace Peterson must have been brought up for somebody, and I'm guessing that's a sign that either Sabathia or Brandon Drury, who left last night's game uh, with a uh, migraine Uh, Maybe one or both of them are on the disabled list as well.
2: I actually just got a notification from ESPN saying Sabathia and Drury are on the disabled list. On the DL. Okay, great
1: great news. So I'm assuming Jace Peterson is brought up for that purpose uh, for Drury, um, uh, who's a really nice little player. It's interesting that Neil Walker is not in this game. Austin, a right-handed hitter. Walker, a switch hitter. But you would think that against Chris Tillman, that somehow between third base, second base, and first base, or even designated hitter, that there would have been a place for Neil Walker in this lineup against Chris Tillman.
2: Yeah, I mean, I'm really surprised about that too, but...
1: Were you? Yeah, were a, little you?
2: Bit. a little bit. You know, <laughs> I try to keep track with as much as I can, but right. you know, early in the season, so trying to rotate players.
1: It's looking like we're going to make one last attempt. We'll make one last attempt at getting Jimmy on. Uh, I have a feeling he said something that his phone might be having problems, and he thought he would have to do the interview in a car charging but um you know we chuckled about that he said I might have to do this interview in the car charging but uh, we we don't want to have him uh, we'll get him on next week to talk about what we were going to talk about but um, Jimmy Henneman really did a super job and again I say to anybody out there uh, reading uh, our website go to go to pressboxonline.com or somebody who hasn't seen our website. Stop by pressboxonline.com, click on the columns, and read some of Jim Henneman's most recent stuff. He did about seven columns in four or five weeks that he was down there in Sarasota, and so just some great stuff. Um, And we applaud Jimmy Henneman for a long, illustrious career, really proud that he's been a part of PressBox for a dozen years now. Um, He was the first person when i really finished our business plan and went out and started raising capital to start pressbox he was the first writer that i went to uh, as so, uh, as somebody i wanted to cover baseball for the baltimore orioles or for pressbox cover the baltimore orioles for pressbox and not just the orioles but baseball in general all right since jim is not going to join us today we'll we'll make that reconnection with him next week We're going to reach out to uh, Orioles right-hander of the past many years, Mike Boddicker, will join us in just a couple minutes. I think Brittany is trying to reach out to him right now, uh, and we will have him on momentarily. Good opportunity to remind you that I will be on after the game with After Bird Watching with Stan the Fan, uh, brought to you by ThompsonAutomotive.com. We'll talk uh, Orioles baseball in today's game at, pres- at Facebook.com slash Charles. I'll be on after today's game and after tomorrow's game on Facebook Live. Joining us right now is former Orioles right-handed pitcher who used to wear uniform number 52 when he was with the Baltimore Orioles, and that is none other than Mike Boddicker. Mike, thank you for taking time out of your so, so busy schedule out there.
5: No, not a problem, Stan.
1: Hey, you know, it's funny, uh, I noticed pitchers today, a lot of guys, when they, when they come up, young pitchers, they're in the 50s, their numbers, and then suddenly mm-hmm. they, they want to get a more, quote-unquote, representative number, that <laughs> means that they really made it. Did, did, did that ever bother you that you were number 52? No, I actually requested it. Did you really?
5: Yeah, I got it in spring training when I first, uh, my first camp. And uh, once I made it, Jimmy Tyler asked me, he says, what number do you want? I said, the same one I always had. So I stuck with 52. Sammy was 53,
1: and we were kind of the high numbers. Yep, you were the high numbers. So was 52, is that something you wore all through the Orioles system getting up to the majors? No. Okay. No, 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 no. That was just my spring training number. Okay. And uh, uh, it was fine with me. I,
5: I, I knew uh, one of the reasons was I knew I wasn't uh, at that par with uh, Flanny and Mac and yep and Cakes and and uh so I just basically said, "You know what? That's that's good enough for a guy of my caliber." So
1: How how daunting a task was it to come up with that much in front of you? Did that did that play on you for a couple seasons, you know that, "Boy, no matter what I do, am I going to catch a break that's going to Vault me past these guys,
5: no, there was no way I was ever going to vault past those guys. Yeah, I just wanted to be part of a group that won you know it was uh i was I was so lucky to learn from from those guys. I mean each one of them took time with me and and kind of guided me through what I need to do to be a big leader and understanding hitters and stuff like that so I was just I was just really fortunate. How, mu-
1: how much of a help was Palmer? Because the time you came up, I'm sure he had his own his own conundrum of how to continue in the major leagues. He was nearing the end, but he could still be great at times. Was he very giving to you? Always. Yep.
5: Always. You know, some people they don't really care for for Jim and, and uh, for different reasons. I don't know, but. Mm-hmm. That's one thing I always let him know. Don't you ever badmouth Jim Palmer in front of me?
1: That's that's great. That's great. so uh,
5: yeah. He, uh, I've got I've got great stories with him uh, on and off the field. So I'm I'm just I was lucky enough to have him, you know, sit down and talk with me on the on the bench, you know, and especially in tough times. Yep. That's when he showed up. Yeah, when things were going good, you know, he didn't need to say anything very tough times he would be there right next to me
1: yeah you always find out who the friends are and who's really got your back when the tough times yeah it's easy I mean, to he be didn't there. have to heck
5: the yeah. he was the Hall of famer yep he didn't have to sit there and help a young kid and he did
1: how much how much has Jim Palmer meant to this organization over over now it's what he's been with the organization since like 63 64 I guess when he first signed. So it's uh, 35 and, f- like, 55 years. It's had a huge impact. Yeah.
5: I tell you what, him, Brooksie, and Errol were the, the faces of, uh, to me, they were the faces of the Baltimore Orioles. Right. Especially when I was coming up. And, uh, you know, I came up with Rip, and, and uh, at that time, not knowing what he was going to be, but uh, had a pretty good idea. You know, we were just part of a family is what we were. We're, ta- we're just one big family. We did things in the off days together. Somebody's always there to help you out. We are talking need, needed help. It was just it was amazing.
1: We're talking with Mike Boddicker, former Orioles pitcher. He pitched uh, also with the Boston Red Sox. Uh, Mike, one of the reasons I wanted to have you on, it's funny, I try and get you on once or twice a baseball season or during the calendar year to do this show with me because you're one. Of, you were one of my favorites because the first year you really came up and established yourself was the first year I was establishing myself as a media entity in Baltimore, and I kept, I kept putting forth the fact that the Orioles have this guy Mike Botticker in the minor leagues, and then Flanney got hurt, and you came up and made me look good. Uh, I predicted, I predicted the night you were going to beat the, the the Phillies, and the way we were going to beat the Phillies in the World Series. Um, so you continued to make me look good. But one of the reasons I wanted to have you on today is I did not know the extent of your relationship and friendship with a former teammate, Sammy Stewart. And Sammy, we lost Sammy this spring uh, during spring training. Um, When did you two guys become friends? Because I'm looking, and I wondered if it was in the minor leagues, but you really weren't with him in the minor leagues, were you? No, no,
5: it was big leagues. You know, I I spent my, my time in the bullpen like, Everybody else came up, and uh, Sammy was out there, and Sammy just made me laugh. He was hilarious. He was a funny guy, and he's another one that, if you needed help, he'd be right there to help you.
1: You know, the the way Sammy's career went, and then his post-career, you know, we all know the stories. He had two children with um, cystic fibrosis and uh, lost one of them early uh, and then he, it, it sort of spiraled out of control for him. Um, did you stay in touch with him through the the really rough times?
5: Yeah, yeah. We, I mean, I think everybody did. Yeah. Um, pretty much. I mean, it was a tough situation. It's really hard to judge somebody who has two children that you know are going to pass at an early age. I yeah. can't even fathom that. Yeah. I really can't. I mean, I can't judge anybody on uh, anything they did. It's kind of like somebody coming back from the war who's seen what they've seen and been through what they've been through. How do you judge people like that? You can't. You really can't. So, you know, I just tried to be a friend. Yep. Just like most of the other players. I mean, everybody stepped up and tried to be a friend.
1: Sammy spent a good chunk of time in, in prison when he got out, and I think he got out, was it about two years ago, Mike? A little over two, two or three, years ago? I think yeah. it was, yeah. Did, Maybe three. Did, did you guys all get, and I know, listen, people go on and, and lead their lives and they got their things. You're out in Kansas City, he was North Carolina, um, but did you get to see him at some card shows, and what was his mentality like post prison? Was he disgraced? Was he still somewhat optimistic? Was he still funny? or was it a, a, different, a different guy? Same guy. same
5: guy. Um, but then again, we never made a big deal out of, out of uh, that situation. Yeah, we were still friends, you know, all the guys. So you know, uh, so I'm a lot down at fantasy camp, and uh, any other thing we did. When uh, the Orioles brought him to town. Yep. So, you, you know, I, it's like everything else. It's great seeing your old teammates. I heard that... It's one thing to talk to him on the phone, but it's another yep. thing to see him in face and maybe have a beer with him, whatever.
1: I heard that uh, Palmer helped a great deal. He got him some autograph signings wherever he was going to sign. He tried to get him work that way. Um it, it's just a, a terrible tragedy, uh, the the it way is. his his, it is. his wife his life. I mean,
5: uh, you know, everybody can judge, but I'm not going to judge.
1: Yeah, yeah.
5: Talk talk a little bit he about. Still, he was still a great person. Yep. Yeah, he was still a great. Had a great heart to him, and uh, if somebody needed help, he'd be there.
1: Well, I know you probably don't remember this. You probably did. Rex Barney did a show in the Hit and Run Club after games, and Rex got sick in 1983 or 84, and I sat in for him for about six weeks and did that show in addition to my post-game talk show. Sammy came in one day, and, and I was supposed to interview Sammy Stort, and I was a young broadcaster then, and he put some black stuff on his teeth, and he he sort of just motioned for me to go along with him, and I said, "Well, we're supposed to interview Sammy Stewart," but I said, "Who are you?" And he went on to fifteen, eighteen minutes of Hog Williford and his his cousin from uh, you know Swananoa, and he was one of the funniest people I ever spent time with mm-hmm. on the radio. Oh,
5: he was hilarious. Uh, the two funniest people in baseball that I was ever around was uh, Mike Flanagan and Sammy Stewart. Yeah, both of them had. Quick wit, sense of humor, made you laugh all the time. That's a gift to make somebody laugh.
1: Yeah, it really is. Did Earl Weaver ever make you laugh? Earl make me laugh? Yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah. He did. He did. Uh, Some of his
5: antics made me laugh, yes.
1: Hey, you came up with the Orioles at a time when the, the the so-called Oriole way and I'm sure the the successful clubs felt there was a Dodger way or a Yankee way but mm-hmm. there was something special about the Oriole way and the way they taught the right things how to do things throughout every level of, of baseball. Uh, did you experience that when you were coming up witnessing how they did Pickoffs and cutoffs, and you know.
5: Yes, it was you. Once you released the ball, you were another infielder. Mm-hmm. So you know had, had to know, be able to field your position, which can save yourself tons of hits, um, know where to go with the ball, know the plays, know everything that was going on. We spent a lot of time doing that. And I mean, I remember when I first got to spring training, Flannie came up to me and said, you want, you want to be in the big leagues? You watch Jim Palmer and do everything he does. Right. And those guys worked their tails off and I tried to keep up with Palmer running. And I was a young man and, and I it took a long time to get to that. He was amazing. We're talking I mean, everything he did was there was a purpose and uh, it, it was it was amazing to watch.
1: When you talk baseball with Jim Palmer his his recollection of almost, he can almost recall how he pitched every hitter almost each time in his career. I've never seen the recall of somebody, and Jim is now, you know, like 72, 73. Uh, it's, mm-hmm. it's absolutely amazing. Is that memory, somehow that memory meant something to how he pitched because he, he knew how he could get hitters out. He remembered how he could get hitters out. That's what we used to do.
5: Yeah. Sitting on the bench. If you ever watched us, the guy's sitting on the bench, we were constantly talking situation. What would you throw in this position, situation? How do you get this guy out? Uh, one of the things I really miss these days is box scores. Mm-hmm. No papers have box scores. You can't find a box score. Right. But we did, that's how we knew when we went into the next series against maybe Milwaukee or New York you look in the box scores for the two days before you were going to go in, see who was hot who was not and pitch it accordingly
1: that's interesting, that really is interesting they
5: don't do that anymore, they have so many videos are so overloaded with stuff they make it too difficult I mean I I watch these pitchers and, and most of them never shake their head they never shake their head that they want a different pitch if you if you watch a game, it, it's it's amazing to me. I mean, I remember at the end of my career, they started having all these meetings. It was daily meetings. I'm going, we would play a series against somebody, and a day and a half later, we would be playing them again at our place. Right. And we'd be going over the same stuff. i like, you can't remember how you got that guy out two days ago. <laughs> I mean, I don't remember much anymore. Yeah, I remember the guys hit home runs off me. Yeah, uh, but other than that, no, I don't remember a whole lot.
1: One of the but things
4: one I know
5: how th- I know how to, to stand. I remember how to pitch guys that I played against.
1: Yeah, yeah, I do. One of the things I remember, and I've been talking about it all throughout the program when I've promoted your coming on, was that you were the last Oriole pitcher to win twenty games. Something that seemed like it was. Just a common occurrence back then with with the Baltimore Orioles and starting pitchers. I mean, Palmer, I think, won 26 or seven times. Cuellar, McNally, uh, Wayne Garland, Pat Dobson. You were the last guy to do it. When you did it in 1987, would you have ever imagined that 30 years later we'd be saying you were the last guy to to, to win 20? And it doesn't look like it's even close now to somebody – reaching that figure again
5: no no uh, I never fathomed that 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 would ever hold up which I wish would go away yeah it'd be nice to see somebody for the O's win 20 Um, I mean
1: Tillman the Tillman two years ago was really on pace until his shoulder problems he had like 13 I thought he was going to break it yep I I did did.
5: too it's tough anymore though Stan because guys only go five and six innings
1: yeah too many variables. Yeah, so many of your wins nowadays are dependent upon the guys that come out of the bullpen. That's and, right. and when you're talking about it not being just the closer or the setup guy, you're depending upon a Miguel Castro and a Richard Blyer to pitch shutout ball sometimes in a one-run game. And that's asking mm-hmm. a lot of them to do. You know, It is. There's yeah. a lot of
5: pressure on those 6th, those 7th inning guys.
1: That's why they're starting to make some big money now, the veteran guys that mm-hmm. are like that. Well, I, I mean, they work almost
5: as much as the starters anymore.
1: Mike, um, before we let you go, one of the Orioles pitchers that most closely resembles in my mind now, I think he naturally had more gifts than you did, but he's had the Tommy John surgery. He's Dylan Bundy, drafted out of high school mm-hmm. by the Orioles. When you see him pitch, does the way he – goes about his business, the way his thought processes. Does it remind you of watching yourself a little bit?
5: <laughs> you know, it's funny because I saw Dylan in high school. Did my you really? Against, yeah, my son played with him on a team in uh, USA uh, tryouts. And uh, this kid was throwing 95 miles an hour. He couldn't get anybody out. He was throwing it off the screen, hitting people, Um. The thing that probably saved him was the surgery. He learned how to pitch.
1: He learned how to pitch. Yep.
5: He learned how to pitch, and you watch him, and he knows what he's doing. That was probably, you know, I hate to say that about anybody. Mm -hmm. Surgery was a good thing. Yep. But that that probably saved him and gave him a career.
1: It's really that's fascinating, uh, um, you know, an analysis of uh, Dylan Bundy because I I just when I watch him pitch now, and he can still touch ninety four. But, uh, mm-hmm. you know, when they drafted him, there was talk that he could, he could be a 97, 98 guy. But, oh, but yeah, the, yeah, yeah. But the thing I watch now in most respect is how he seems to generally be able to keep hitters off stride. He still seems to be the, the chess player to their checkers or something like that. Well, that's, you know, that's old school stuff. Yeah, yeah.
5: You, you, you go get it when you need it. You're not going... 110% from pitch one till they take you out of the game. You go get it when you need it. That's what I learned from Palmer. You need a strikeout, that's when you re- go back and get it. Yep. Um, the yeah. guys could go a lot more innings if they did that.
1: Yeah, they sure could. Hey, before we let you go, you, you live out in the Kansas City area, or at least you did the last time I talked to you, so I'm still assuming you're still out there. Um the Royals they're going through a you know you, you you understand when you when you get a window and and people are saying ah, they they're not going to re-sign these guys so they ought to trade them and get prospects you understand that but if you're the general manager like Dayton Moore was and the manager there's that ten, that 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 desire to hey, let's give it one more shot and they moved to within like two and a half games I think of first place like in uh, late July last year, and they were the hottest team in baseball, but they've, they look now like they've got a long rebuild in the, in the front of them. Yeah,
5: they they do have a long rebuild. I mean, they, they're not going to win a lot of games this year. And the problem is they don't have much down the minor league system to call upon. I mean, you're looking lower minor leagues, a ball, maybe a couple in double a, but they got, they got a ways to go here. And, uh, just the cover's kind of bare.
1: Help me out with two pitchers, though, uh, for fantasy baseball purposes. I missed out. I was dying to get him, but I got stuck, and I didn't have a pitching slot. was hoping to get him in my reserve. Jacob Junis looks like he might be a pretty good pitcher.
5: He's the real thing. Yeah. He is. I thought you were going to say yeah, that. It's I, making I really, me sick. From the, from, the time, from the time the kid came up, I, you know, I do a little bit of radio out here, and yep. I said, I love this kid. He's, he's the kid you got to watch, and, and I think that's kind of what they're looking at down, three, four years down the road, hopefully building something and letting this kid be the, the stud guy that we need. So we'll and, see, but he's,
1: he's legit. And one other guy who's probably going to get a start this week, a left-hander, who looks like he's coming on, but I don't know an awful lot about his stuff. I know he's not like a Chris Sale or anything, but is Eric Scoglin.
3: Mm-hmm.
5: Throws you, hard. Throws hard? Uh, at times, when, okay. he goes, when he needs it.
1: You think he yeah, can he, pitch? He, uh, you
5: think he's got pitchability? They're looking at it, yes. Okay. I, I haven't seen enough of the kid to okay. say yes or no. Okay. Um, I, I know Junis. I watched him enough last year to say, yeah, this kid's legit. Right. Um, Scoglin
1: is... <clears throat> he's a work in
5: progress. I, I, we're hoping. All right. Out here, that, that we're hoping. Uh, by the way, that was a hell of a game last night with the
1: Yankees, wasn't it? Oh, now were you watching that? <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah. That was really some game. Uh,
5: did that was you a hell did, of a game?
1: Did you see the play before we let you go? the The rundown at third base, and did you understand it should have been a double play right away? Did you mm-hmm. see? Yes. Yeah. Caleb yeah. Joseph did the exact right thing once he didn't tag Stanton. I think he, I think he's a smart enough uh, kind of wily guy that he knew by tagging a guy at third and then tagging Stanton, it was a double play.
5: Yeah. Should have been double play.
1: Yeah, hard to imagine how umpires missed that. It was pretty stunning. Uh,
5: well, you know, especially with all the ding replays. I mean, they I they waste about forty minutes a game on replays. I know.
1: So. It's, it's it's sad. Hey, we really appreciate your coming on and uh, and uh, bearing uh, a little bit of uh, what's inside of you about the passing of your friend Sammy Stewart. He was a yeah, he was a terrific tragedy. guy. we we've,
5: we've we've lost too many, Stan. I mean, yep. but that's you know. The bottom line is, the older you get, nobody's gonna live forever, and this it it happens. It's just every things happen. So,
1: all right, glad to Let's touch on. glad to touch base with you. Good luck with what you're doing out in KC, and I'll talk to you maybe later in the summer, Mike. All right, Stan. Thank you. Appreciate you it. There you go, Mike Boddicker. Uh, really appreciate his coming on. Um, well, he was one of my favorite pitchers back there in the 83 through 87. He was still one of my favorite pitchers when we traded him to the uh, Red Sox, but uh, he he was no longer an Oriole. Uh, before we uh, say our goodbyes, we're going to take one more break, and I'll start that break by telling you that this is the third baseball season of the batter round, and I couldn't be happier. Welcome back in my friend Steve Garland and his very fine cafe, the Big Bats Cafe, located at 216 St. Clair Place in Stevensville, Maryland. They are right over the Bay Bridge. If you're heading to the eastern shore, you get over the Bay Bridge, and almost immediately there's that Stevensville exit. You come up to the stop sign, you make a left, and it's about a quarter of a mile or less on the right-hand side. Just a terrific sports ambiance, a baseball To be more specific, a baseball ambiance there. They got high marks for service, value, food, and atmosphere. Kent Island's original sports bar. Check out Big Bats one time, and I'm telling you, every time you go to the Eastern Shore, you'll want to stop by there for more. Great place to stop. Watch a game if you know like the Orioles are playing an afternoon game and you're on your way down to the beach. Stop by there. But you can also watch Wizards playoffs capitals playoffs oriole night games nationals night games great sports bar big bats cafe
0: visit buffalo wild wings weekdays from 11 to 2 and take advantage of their new 15 minute lunch guarantee or your lunch is free that's right free and with a 15 minute lunch guarantee that means less time waiting and more time eating delicious beat before you gotta get back to the office Buffalo Wild Wings, White Marsh, Owings Mills, and Westminster, Wings Beer Sports, available for dine-in orders at participating locations for a limited time. See restaurant for details.
1: The latest edition of Press Box is available now. On the cover, Steve Ginsburg profiles Orioles' sage sophomore Trey Mancini after a breakout rookie campaign. We also preview all aspects of the 2018 Orioles and look ahead to the NFL Draft. PressBox is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farms stores. You can also find the entire edition as well as the best daily coverage of the Ravens, Orioles, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com.
4: Spring into savings on a new car at Jerry's Toyota, Jerry's Chevrolet, and Jerry's Mitsubishi. Save a lot of money at Jerry's with free financing on over 800 new cars and trucks in stock. Jerry's has incredible springtime deals, like monthly payments as low as $129 a month on new Toyota RAV4s Camrys, and Chevy Malibus and Cruises. Looking for a new SUV with third row seating? Well, Jerry's has a great selection of models, including Toyota Highlanders, Chevy Traverses, and the Mitsubishi Outlander. If that's too much and you are shopping for a new crossover, Jerry's has great deals on new Toyota CHRs, Chevy Trax, and the all-new Mitsubishi Eclipse. Plus, right now at Jerry's, get huge savings on over 200 pre-owned cars, trucks, and SUVs. Do it. Visit Jerry's Toyota on Bel Air Road or Jerry's Chevrolet and Mitsubishi on Joppa Road and online at jerrysitsaboutyou.com. Special financing and lease payments with approved credit through dealer-designated lenders. Sale ends 430-18. Okay, so what do you get when you combine
0: the Chick-fil-A Vanilla Ice Dream and their Simply Orange Juice? Well, introducing the all-new Frosted Sunrise from our friends at Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square. It's perfect with breakfast, lunch, or dinner. Nothing refreshes like the Chick-fil-A Frosted Sunrise. And hey, if you prefer lemon, try the Frosted Lemonade. Don't forget to think about Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square as well. For all of your catering needs, graduation parties coming up, Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square, 5198 Campbell. Boulevard in the Nottingham Square shopping center.
2: I'm Jill Powell. Each day I'll bring you the latest from the floor of the Maryland General Assembly. I'll speak with the newsmakers and feature the sound that is shaping the future of Maryland. Be sure to catch the Maryland Capital Report at anytime at marylandnewsnetwork.net.
0: Kyle, here's the thing. Since we're streaming live now every day at facebook.com/pressboxsports video-wise, I'm going to need you to step your game up when it comes to what you wear to work every day from 10 to noon. Uh, I hear you.
4: I mean, I f- I'm, they can't see my legs. I can still wear the chaps.
0: Okay, that's fine. I just don't understand for me why they have to be assless chaps.
4: I have the chaps that I have.
0: Well, okay. <laughs> and I have the toes that I have. This is what we do every day from 10 to noon. Glenn Clark, Kyle Ottenheimer. For Glenn Clark Radio. I'm not sure that you'll learn anything. I'm not sure that you'll ever really be entertained, but afterwards it's going to be a pleasant experience for all involved.
4: How does that work?
0: Yeah, don't worry about it. Glenn Clark Radio and Facebook.com slash PressBox Sports.
1: Alright, well we got to the bottom of two things. First of all the Orioles came out with their lineup and secondly, uh, I com- committed a major faux pas. I gave uh, Brittany Jim's old home number, which you cannot get off of your smartphone. In other words, it's always there. I, can't, I can delete it, and it'll still be there. Okay, so I don't know why I gave her the home number. I had talked to Jim on his cell number yesterday and then wrote down the home number. So he's upset with me. I don't blame him. Um, it was a major faux pas on my part. From now on, you got to understand what you're dealing with. So in the future, if somebody doesn't answer, okay, say, hey.
2: Give me a different number. Give me a
1: different number. All right. This is the only number we ever use. Throw the other one away. Okay. He's, throw it he's away. Alive. We're throwing it away. All right. I will throw it away. Anyway, we'll try and get Jim Henneman on board with us next next week. Uh, apologies to him and to the many folks that I promised you would be on this today. Um, We will be back next Saturday. Uh, Reminder, Ken Zalas, Sarita Hubbard tomorrow at uh, 10 to 12 with the Fantasy and Reality Football Show. And um, also, Monday through Friday, Glenn Clark Radio with Kyle Ottenheimer. I'm sitting in with Kyle on Monday and Tuesday as Glenn Clark is down at WrestleMania. When is WrestleMania? Is it Tonight?
2: I don't know. I don't know. Or is it like three or four days? Okay. I think I don't it's know. like a multiple day thing. Don't understand.
1: That. I don't know. Anyway, real quick before we sign off Orioles lineup just came out about five or six minutes ago Mancini, Machado, Scope, Jones, Davis, Beckham. DH is Pedro Alvarez. Everybody in Baltimore will be happy to hear that uh, Colby Rasmus is not playing. Anthony Santander is in right field, and Chance Cisco is the catcher. Again, they're facing right-hander Sonny Gray, so the Orioles will have one, two, three, four left-handed bats. Um, they'll have four left-handed at bats, uh, left-handed batters in the lineup. For the Yankees, Brett Gardner, Aaron Judge, John Carlos Stanton, Dee Dee DeGregorius, Tyler Austin, Miguel Andujar, Jace Peterson, Austin Romine, Ronald Torres is the lineup for the Yankees, they'll face Chris Tillman. All right, have a great day, everybody. Bye.